Well, welcome. My name is Warren Truesdale. I am the middle school director here at DBC, and I've been at, in that role uh, for two and a half years now. Uh, my wife, Evelyn and I, shall be seated over here. Uh, we've been at DBC for four and a half years, and we have a little uh, two-year-old, Aubrey Grace, um, who's, who's coloring over there. And um, we are expecting our second child, a little boy, in February, so February 20th. So we're excited about that. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> we're excited about that. But from, from Shelby and from myself together, we want to tell you, DBC, um, thank you. We, we love you. You have uh, cared for us, encouraged us, been there for us over these past four and a half years in, in amazing numerous ways. So we love you and we thank you. Uh, and we are so grateful to be a part of this DBC family. So... Um, and then to Aaron and the other elders, I appreciate this opportunity to preach today. So uh, let's dive in. All right, so as I said, I'm the middle school director here at DBC, okay? So part of my job, at least as I see it, is to get the next generation, okay, to love the movies of my generation, okay? <laughs> so that's part of the job description. It's really not, but I think it should be. Um, I have other spiritual goals, I promise, okay? But this is like <laughs> secondary, tertiary goal. So, and the main movies that I'm trying to pass on to the next generation, okay, are my favorite movies of all time. And it's a train. It's not Star Wars, okay? So if it's not Star Wars in a trilogy, what is it, you know? Lord of the Rings, yes. My peeps, DBC, you got it. Okay, Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings, okay? If I had to pick... Um, a favorite movie out of the three, all right, if I had to, which is very difficult because all of them have their own strengths and none of them have any weaknesses, um, <laughs> I'd probably have to pick the second one, okay, The Two Towers. Now, I would, I would pick that one because there's this scene in that movie that is my favorite movie scene of all time, okay? This scene happens at Helm's Deep. All right, so get ready, put your glasses on, because we're about to nerd out for a second, okay? Lord of the Rings, Helm's Deep, okay? Helm's Deep is this fortress, like, built into the mountains, right, that the people of the kingdom of Rohan have, that they've fleed to, okay? They are, they are, they are there in the keep, the, the fortress Helm's Deep, all right? And the bad guys in this, in this movie in particular is this huge army of orcs, okay? in this specific type of orc called Urukai, okay? It's kind of a frightening name anyway, right? I think I have a picture of one of them. Look at that, okay? Um, this is actually where the battle happens, okay? So these guys are massive, right? Strong. They're terrifying, okay? We can take that down so we don't have any nightmares later. Um, so there's 10,000 of these guys coming to Helm's Deep, and their purpose is to destroy the kingdom of Rohan, of Rohan just to, to kill everyone, okay? And there's this scene between a boy in Helm's Deep named Haleth, son of Hama, okay? If you're looking for boys' names, here's Haleth. Haleth or Hama. We're not naming our son that, right, Shelby, so we're good. Uh, okay, she said no. Um, all right, so Haleth is about 12 or 13 years old, right? He's not a soldier, but he has armor on that's too big for him. He has a sword, right? He has to fight because no one else can, right? So it's Haleth, 
And then the other person in this scene is Aragorn, okay? So I think we have a picture of him too. Yes, look at that guy. Um, really, if you know anything about like this, the whole Lord of the Rings saga, Aragorn is like one of the heroes, okay? He's, I don't know how to explain it. He's just a boss. He's awesome, okay? So you have Halif, this 12 or 13-year-old boy, hanging out by a fire. He's got that armor that's too big, and he's looking at his sword. Okay, you can take that down so we aren't distracted by his awesomeness. Um, <laughs> so he's looking at his sword, and he's terrified. When he loved, right? He knows he's about to die, and everyone he loves is about to die. And seated about 10 feet away is Aragorn. And Aragorn sees this expression on Halleth's face. So he calls out to him. He says, bring me your sword. Okay, so Halleth walks over to him, and he hands Aragorn a sword. And Aragorn's just sitting there with his sword. And Halleth says this. He says, the men are saying that we're not going to give out the night. They're saying that it's hopeless. Aragorn's just sitting there. He doesn't say anything. He just, he stands up with the sword. Now he's towering over this kid, right? He starts doing, like, battle moves with the sword. He just looks at it, and he hands it back to Halleth. He says, Halleth, this is, Halleth, son of Hamlet, this is a good sword. And he grabs Halleth by the shoulders, and he bends down. And he's just looking at Halleth, like, eye to eye, really close. And he says these words. There is always hope. That's what he says. And when I, and when I hear that, I'm just like, yeah! I'm just ready to jump through the TV screen and go fight for Aragorn, right? I love that scene. I love it. And it resonates with me, and I think it resonates with so many people, um, because... We've all been hopeless. We've been where Halleth is. There's something special and powerful about having hope in the midst of hopelessness. Okay? So I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how 2019 was for you. It could have been a really tough year. And to be honest, you'd rather just forget about it and move on. All right, too much pain. You feel lost, maybe alone. You feel hopeless. So I wanna, what I want to do today is I want David to be like Aragorn for us. And David is going to tell us that there is always hope. All right, so that's what we're going to be talking about, hope in the midst of hopelessness. So if you have your Bibles... Go ahead and open up to uh, Psalm 143. And we're going to start just by looking at David's description of his situation. Okay? And if you remember reading it, uh, it's pretty bleak. Okay? So as I'm, as I'm reading this description, I want you to think about the imagery that David uses here. And notice the progression of the imagery. Okay? Verse 3. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life dead ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Pursued, crushed to the ground, sitting in darkness among the dead. Okay? David's describing a descent. A descent into darkness and death. It's frightening language. And then in verse 4, this is how he feels about the situation. He says, therefore, my spirit faints 
within me. My heart within me is appalled, right? So he feels so weak, he's faint. And his heart is appalled. And this word appalled, um, it, this is the only time in this form that it shows up in all the Hebrew scriptures, right? The whole Old Testament. So there's a little discussion as to like how it's best translated. And there's another, uh, appalled is one option. There's another option that I like a little bit more, okay? And it's the trans- translation, numb. My heart within me is numb. Descent into darkness and death. Faint, weak, numb. You've, you've felt this before, I'm sure. I've felt this. It actually had, it wasn't too long ago that I felt this in a very real way. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was in a, in a time, a, a season of despair, of darkness, of hopelessness. To make a really long story short, it was, I, it was a lot of spiritual attack, and then on top of that, just self-degradation, right? Self-hatred, thoughts. Um, I was not, not in a good spot. And it all kind of came to a head uh, where three nights in a row, I woke up in a panic attack, okay? Three, t- three nights in a row. Panic attacks are not pleasant, all right? And then that, those three nights, led to insomnia, to where I couldn't sleep, okay? So I slept hardly at all for nine days, okay? So if you are in a not good spot mentally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and then you don't sleep for nine days, right, it is not good. I was in a dark, dark spot, okay? That's where David is. So what does it mean when we're in situations like that to hope? And what David is doing already in these verses, verses 3 and 4, is he's starting to answer that question for us. Because the beginning of biblical hope is acknowledging the darkness. We have to acknowledge the darkness. We have to recognize darkness and evil and chaos, and we have to call it what it is. That's primary. So God's word obviously calls a spade a spade, right? And we should too. So this is foundational not only to the book of Psalms, it's foundational to the whole story of scripture, right? Acknowledge the darkness. There's this guy named uh, Kelly Capich. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. Um, He's a Christian theologian and seminary professor, okay? And he and his wife, Tabitha, have um, suffered a lot together. Tabitha especially. She, uh, Tabitha had a uh, very uh, intense battle with cancer that she ended up actually winning. And then shortly after, she had developed a connective tissue disorder where there's just pain that shoots through all four of your limbs, okay? And it took the doctors six years to figure out what was causing it, what was going on, for her to even start getting treatment yet, okay? And in that process, she developed another uh, disorder called burning man syndrome, okay? And it's exactly as it sounds. Uh, When it comes on, you feel like you're on fire. Okay, so she is going through this. Kelly, her husband, is going through this. Walking through this with her. He's a Christian. He's a theologian, right? 
So they're trying to think through this and walk through this. And he wrote a book called Embodied Hope. Okay? Embodied Hope. It's fantastic. One of my favorite books I read while in seminary. So if you're a reader, check it out. But I have a quote from the book from Kelly that I want to read. I think it's spot on for what we're talking about. Okay, I think we have that quote. You can throw it up there. So he says, When we choose not to lament, we harden our hearts. When we claim that the problems in this life are illusory, when we act as if all the wrongs from our physical pains or horrific injustices are insignificant, in short, when we try to wall ourselves off from suffering, we also wall ourselves off from others and from the God who tells us that this pain is a real, if temporary, fight that requires our attention. While certain Stoic forms of spirituality encourage us to accept, that has not actually been the Christian confession throughout the ages. Not all is good in this world. God, in his sovereignty, has recruited us into his war against darkness and death, and lament brings us back to our dependence on him in that fight. This lament does not undercut divine authority and care, but rather beseeches the presence and comfort of God into the most wounded parts of our souls. Right? Isn't that good? So in other words, what, what, Kelly, what Kelly is saying right, is that a major part of hoping is acknowledging that things aren't good. And that's what David is saying. That's what David is doing here in this song. So likewise, we, to be people of hope, we need to acknowledge the darkness, okay? But David doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Uh, we're going to look, so look back at the psalm. We're going to look at verse 5 and 6 and see what else David has to say about, about biblical hope, about hope and hopelessness. Verse 5 and 6, I think we have that uh, on the next slide. There we go. This is what he says. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Okay, so David acknowledges the darkness, right? But he also abides in God. He abides in God. And the two primary ways he does that in this psalm is by praying and remembering. Praying and remembering. Okay, so if you, we're going to start with prayer. If you look at verse 1 in the psalm, Psalm 143, verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas, right? David is saying this whole psalm is a prayer, right? And then in verse 6 that we just read, David says, I stretch out my hands to you. That's a posture of prayer. So a way we abide in God is we pray. A way we hope that we pray. But uh, prayer isn't easy, okay? Prayer is simple, but it's not easy. Especially in times like this that David's describing. In darkness, death, numbness. Right? We don't want to pray. Sometimes we can't pray. So I don't know if you've been there. I've definitely been there, okay? That time that I talked about a year, half, year and a half ago, that season of just despair and darkness, I was there. I did, not only that I didn't want to pray, it's like, I can't even pray about this, God. And I was encouraged by, by a quote, okay, by, by Charles Spurgeon. So I'm a seminarian, so 
if you don't quote Charles Spurgeon, is it like even a sermon? I don't, you know, so I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon to make it a sermon. Um, no, but I was encouraged by this quote by Charles Spurgeon. For those of you who don't know, Charles Spurgeon was a uh, pastor preacher in London in the 1800s, okay? And it's actually very well documented now. He suffered from depression, pretty extreme depression. And um, so he's been in like this. And God taught him something during those times. And this is what Spurgeon says. In these times when you can't pray, this is what he says. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Now, what he means is that when you can't pray about a situation, you just tell God that. You pray about prayer. God, I cannot pray about this. Help me. Right? This, this reminds me of um, New Year's resolutions, okay? Uh, anybody make re- New Year's resolutions? Yeah? Apparently, no one did. Okay. Uh, y'all are all good. Sweet. Um, so last, last year, my, my wife and I, a lot, of, a lot of them are fitness goals, right? It's usually a fair amount of them. My wife and I started going to this gym together, and we went to these uh, HIT classes, okay? These HIT exercise classes, and that stands, so it's H-I-I-T. So it's high-intensity interval training, okay? And it is just, like, basically unbearable, all right? It is, it's, it's very difficult, okay? But just like any training program, when you start out, not only you don't really want to do it, but you can't do it. There's like half of the exercises, like, I can't do this, okay? But the thing I loved about these HIT exercise classes is that the instructors would always give us a variation of the exercise to do, right? My middle name's variation, so I dominated those. So if there's like, if there's an easy exercise that you can't do for the allotted time, there's a, there's a slight variation of it that's a little bit easier, and the goal is that you do that the whole time, and then over time, you're then able to do the actual exercise the whole time, Okay? That's what Spurgeon is talking about with pray until you pray. If you can't pray about a situation, there's the variation of just telling God that. God, I can't pray about this. I need help. And that's a prayer. And then God is going to be building your spiritual endurance until you're able to pray more and more about that situation, okay? So even though it hurts, even though it may be impossible, we abide, we abide in God by praying. Pray until you pray. Okay, and the second way we abide in God is that we remember, right? Verse 5, read that again real quick. David says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. So we abide in God by remembering God's acts of salvation, both big, right, on the cosmic level, and small, everyday ways he saves us. And we need to think, we need to rethink a little bit uh, biblical remembering. So remembering in the, biblical, in the biblical sense is not simply thinking about the past. It's not just like reciting the facts of history, okay? That's not remembering. Remembering means recognizing that God's past actions reveal to us who he is in our present crisis, okay? And often, this recognition is coupled with an embodied action, okay? So it's not, biblical remembering is not simply thinking, okay? Obviously, thinking is a part of remembering, But often, especially in the biblical sense, it's also doing something. 
So that's why Jesus at the Last Supper, he doesn't say, this is my body given for you. Think about this in remembrance of me. What does he say? He says, do this. Take and eat. It's an action. And that's what David does in this psalm, actually. When he says, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all that you have done. The word meditate means to mutter or whisper to yourself over and over and over again. Normally, uh, that would be like Torah or scripture. You're just, you're, you're thinking about something. You're saying it to yourself over and over again. It's an action. When he says, I ponder the work of your hands, the word ponder here is a pondering that leads to exclaiming, to telling other people about what you're thinking about. It's an action. Involved, right? So this whole idea of like remembering as doing, as involving our senses, <clears throat> reminds me of, makes me remember. Uh, Got one laugh over here. I appreciate that. Um, makes me think about eighth grade basketball, okay? Eighth grade basketball. Now, I went to a private school, and uh, so we actually had like a, a state tournament. It was really cool. And in eighth grade year, we were in the state semifinals, okay? And we were about to play a team that in the previous round had beaten a team that we lost to earlier in the season, Okay. So our school was the, the actual defending state champions, and we're thinking to ourselves, we're about to lose in the semifinals. We're not even going to make it to the, to the championship game because we're playing this team that beat a team we lost to. Okay, so we were a little psyched out. So a couple dads on the team went to Walmart. All right? This is like, isn't that just like the, that's like a start to something crazy. A couple dads went to Walmart. Um, so they come back from Walmart with this big old case of monster energy drinks, okay? So we all take one of those things, and we just chug them before warm-ups, okay? We each drink a whole one. Now, this is like when monster as in the drinks first came out, all right? So I don't know how regulated they were or like what was in them. Um, it was a Christian middle school basketball tournament, so there was no drug testing, thankfully. Uh, we might have tested positive, but um, we drank those things, and we just, like, transformed into the <laughs> mid-1990s Chicago Bulls, okay? We just went out there and dominated. It was amazing. We won by, like, 40, okay? Now, because of that, to this day, when I smell a monster energy drink, Okay, I could just smell it. I am like transported in time into that gym, and I think about eighth grade basketball. I think about that game. I think about my buddies on the team, the coaches, all the fun we have. Think about my love for basketball. All of that because I smell a monster energy drink. Okay, because remembering involves all of our senses. So in the same way, we can remember who God is and what he does for his people. That's what baptism is. That's what communion is. That's what we're doing when we're singing to one another and to God. You know, maybe it's listening to a specific song. I know for me, um, during that time that I've alluded to, there was this one song that God really used to minister to me, just encouraged me a lot. Great song, time. Uh, and it was a song by Lauren Daigle, okay, called Under Your Wings. It's a great song. It just reminded me of God's presence, God's power, uh, the safety I have in him, 
So whenever I hear that song now, like the first, the intro, like the first five seconds, I'm immediately drawn just to remember God's presence, God's faithfulness in times of my suffering. Because maybe there's a song like that for you. Maybe it's going out into God's creation and gazing up at the stars. If you drive an hour and a half, uh, you'll be able to do that. But maybe it's going out into creation and and you're remembering God's power, his creativity. The same God who created all of this is with me now. Maybe it's actually physically, like literally going to a location where God showed up in a big way in your past. And you physically go back to that location and you just soak it all in. And you remember that the same God then is the God that is with you now. Right? This is how we remember. This is how we abide in God. We pray and we remember. Right? So this is how we hope. And last, we acknowledge the darkness. We abide in God. And then lastly, we await his salvation. Await his, sal- his salvation. In verses 7 through 12, I'm actually not going to read through them. You can go over them if you'd like. Um, so David, he hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped acknowledging. He hasn't stopped abiding. But now he's awaiting God's salvation. He knows it's coming. And he's waiting for it. Okay, so brothers and sisters, God's salvation is coming. All right, the God we serve is a God who saves. Okay, this is, our hope is not some passive hope, okay? It is active, it is defiant. Because Christ is coming back to set everything right and make everything new. That is going to happen. Okay, now this is what God does. This is what he has always done with his people, okay? He takes that sure coming salvation in the future and he takes that and he gives his people foretastes of it in the present. That's what he does. That's what he still does. All right, so he's still a God who saves. He's still a God who does miracles. God loves giving his children an actual taste of what's coming. So when and how he does those things, that's a mystery. But he does them. He saves. He saved me out of my time of darkness and despair. Let me tell you how he did that. This is important, okay? Um, I don't want to miss this. So all of what we're talking about, acknowledge the darkness, abide in God, await God's salvation, all of that has to happen in the context of community with other people. We're made for one another. Right? That's why God's given us the church. He's given gifts to us for each other. So there's two sides of this coin, that all of this happens in community, okay? The first side is this. If you're in the spot that I was in a year and a half ago, in the spot that David is talking about right now, you need to tell somebody. Okay, you need, you need to just... You need to tell someone, I am not doing good. 
because all of this can only happen in the context of community, okay? That's how God saved me. I had my wife, a couple pastors here, a friend of mine that were walking with me through that time. They were loving me. They were encouraging me. They were praying with me. They were praying for me when I couldn't. All of this has to happen in the context of community. Okay, so that's the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. If you are not in that spot that Dave is describing, be ready to help those who are. Right? Be ready to help. Because God, when he saves people out of, out of darkness, out of despair, he uses means. And the means he normally uses is other people. So you get to be that. Be ready to be that. All right, so the acknowledge, the abide, the await, all of that has to happen in the context of community. So God's salvation is coming. It's coming. So acknowledge, abide, await. So going back to uh, Lord of the Rings, you can't just talk about Lord of the Rings once, right, in a sermon. You've got to double dip with it. So... Lord of the Rings, what Aragorn was telling that boy Halith, okay, he wasn't just saying, like, hey, bro, you should just hope because do something. It's the right thing to do. You should do that, okay? It's not what he was saying. Aragorn knew something, right? He knew that someone was coming. He had a promise, and that promise was from Gandalf, okay? Earlier in the movie, when Gandalf leaves Rohan, he tells Aragorn this. This is what Gandalf says. He says, Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. All right, so sure enough, when all hope seems lost, there's like this little glimmer of light that comes through a castle window, and Aragorn sees it, and he knows. Aragorn, uh, sorry, Aragorn knows Gandalf is here. And you see this next scene, there's like this barren hill, and this white stallion just like strides up onto the hill, and seated on that stallion is Gandalf. And behind him is the army of Rohan. They have come. And they all ride down that hill, and they destroy the army, the evil army of the orcs, and they save the people of Rohan, miraculously. Our hope as Christians is not a hope in hope. It's hope in a person. Okay? And that person, Jesus Christ, is coming back. And when he does, he's going to raise the dead, he's going to defeat evil, and he's going to make everything new. So in the meantime, we live as people of hope by acknowledging the darkness Abiding in God and awaiting God's salvation. 